Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. All right, hey, stand up on your feet real quickly, and we are starting a brand new teaching series that we are calling Relationship Rehab. Can you all say Relationship Rehab? Oh, do we got a fun one today, Lighthouse Church. You know, every single year in the month of February, we dig into the subject of relationships. And here, here's the reason why we do that. Here's the reason why we talk about relationships. We believe that you are either being formed by the word of God or you are being deformed by the word of the world. You're either being formed by the word of God or you are being deformed by the ways of this world and the ways of culture. And so we start this brand new series, Relationship Rehab, and I'm going to have a different approach to my message. And what I mean by that is typically I will exegete a text. And for all the Bible nerds in the room, you know what I'm talking about. And I expect most of you are like, exo, what? So to exegete means we start with the passage of the Bible, a scripture or a passage. I'll read it and then I will draw out from that. What we're going to take is what's called the topical approach to the Bible. And so we're going to start with topics and then go into the Bible for the information, meaning we want God's word. What does God's word say about that topic? So we're taking a topical approach and it's incredible to be able to do this. And I'm excited because I'm going to be joined by other incredible communicators throughout this series to help me as we talk about relationship rehab. Because how many know that relationships are easy to break but hard to fix? They're easy to break but hard to fix. And so we want to make sure we get relationships right. And um, what really my expectation is, is that you will see Christ actively working in the world through relationships. And here's my sticky statement. We've been talking about this um, going back to last year. But we believe that the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. We believe that the way of Jesus is better than the way of the world. And Jesus has a way to do relationships. And that's better than the way that the world does relationships. Does that sound good, everybody? So let's just take a moment to pray, and then we're diving in. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity to once again dive into your word. As I speak to this audience, would you speak to every individual? Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Let it be articulated with grace and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands, everybody, and you may be seated. Now, I do want to share one verse with you. I'm not going to preach from this verse, but this verse is so important because it's going to guide. It's going to to guide the way we talk about all of these topics for the rest of this month. And we have hard topics to talk about. 1 Peter 3.15, and it says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And I want you to lean into what it says here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, when somebody asks you, why do you do it that way? That doesn't look like the way of the world. Why do you do it that way? Culture's doing it dif- differently. You, you need to be prepared to give an answer. And how do we do that? Do this with gentleness. Can you all say gentleness? And then it says do this with respect. And I think that this is an area where the church has historically been a little deficient. We've been a a little deficient in the gentleness and the respect area, but not so at Lighthouse. We want to talk about hard 
truths, but we want to communicate them with gentleness and respect. Does that sound good, everyone? And so we're going to talk about hard truths. And, and there's a statement by uh, a pastor that I enjoy listening to. He's got a rad name. His name is Pastor Josh Howerton. Okay, some of y'all get the joke. Okay, now they're not landing. But uh, my name is Josh. That's why I said he has a rad name. But uh, he says this thing, and I want to say it to you all. He says, when you baby Christians, you get baby Christians. When you baby Christians, you get baby Christians. So we're going to talk about hard truths today. Does that sound all right, everybody? All right, let me hit you with the title for today's thought. Today's message is me before we. Me before we. Everybody put your hand right here. Just say me. I know when you saw relationship rehab, you were like, great, I'm bringing my wife so we can get her straightened out. Going to bring my husband. We're going to get him all fixed. No, no, no. If we're going to win, we got to start right here. We got to get me right. We got to get you right. Today, let's talk about me before we. As I look at the landscape of our society and the markers of our culture, I'm growing concerned about how people find their identity. How are people finding, discovering themselves, how are they finding their identity? And to say it more strongly, I believe that identity is under attack. I believe that identity is under attack. You see, there was a time in our nation where we universally um, believed or at least universally understood that Christians professed that our identity begins with God. And we get that from all over the Bible, but let me just show you this verse, Genesis 1:26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So our identity is shaped beginning with we're made in the image, we bear the image and the likeness of God. And then we couple that belief that we are created by God. Psalm 139:14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully Made. So the Christian belief is that we are not the result of a cosmic accident. And contrary to how you were conceived by intention, hookup, or by accident, you are here by God's design. You are here because God wants you to be here. And not only are you here by God's plan, but you have been formed by him. He has gifted you. He has given you unique talents, traits, and abilities, and he does that so that you can couple with him in this mission of, first off, you got to know your Savior. You got to give your life to him, and then you get to join him in the renewal of this earth. You get to join him in the God-sized plans and dreams of what he wants to do here in the city of Vista, what he wants to do in your family, what he wants to do in this world. We get to go on mission with our great creator. Come on, is that something to get excited about? I think that's worth something getting excited about but when I say all that you need to know this about the world you, this is a statement that I want you to write down whatever God creates the world counterfeits whatever God creates the world the enemy counterfeits and I don't know about you guys but I don't like counterfeits Okay, and I don't think I'm bougie. I just don't like counterfeits, all right? I was talking to someone, and they were like, I got this necklace. It looks so nice until I wore it on a hot day, and I started sweating, and it left a green ring right around my neck. A counterfeit. You know what I'm talking about? I don't like counterfeits, and, and, and the world will always give you a counterfeit to whatever God creates. And since we believe that, that we are to find our identity in Christ, the world creates an alternate place for people to find their identity. And right now there's a famine for God's word. People just don't know God's word. Like there was a time in our country going back several decades where 
the word of God was more universally known and accepted. And so because there's a famine for the word of God, most people don't even know to find their identity in Christ. And so with gentleness and respect, we're going to call out the things that are counterfeit and show you what is truth and how the truth is in Christ. Sound good, everybody? So the counterfeit to identity really has its origins in the sexual revolution of the 1960s. And if there's anyone in the room that was alive at that time, you know what I'm talking about. That in the 1960s, the sexual revolution began, and it has, since that time, eaten away at the identity of Gen X, millennials, and now Gen Z. I know there's another generation alpha that's coming up next, but they're still very young. We don't have the information, the data on them just yet. But Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are experiencing really the fallout of the sexual revolution. And in case you're wondering, how does the sexual revolution have anything to do with identity? Let me show you. The two tenets of the sexual revolution are this. Number one, that your sexual desires are your core identity. That's tenant number one. And then number two, that fulfillment is found in unrestricted sexual expression. I think I woke up the room now. You guys track it with me? And uh, so we're going to talk about this because these tenants, we want to hold up the counterfeit to the truth of God's word. We want to hold up what's counterfeit to the truth of God's word. So the first tenet is that your sexual desires are your core identity. The sexual revolution is trying to get you to anchor your identity off of the desires that you feel. It wants to get you to anchor your identity on the desires that you feel. Because if it can get you to shape, to anchor your identity in your de desires, then your activity will then follow that identity. But here's the logical flaw with that. We all have a range of desires that we are going to experience over time. Just think about the high school version of yourself. What were your desires then? How about when you were in junior high? How about when you were right in the middle of puberty? What were your desires then? And so, and so the, the problem with that, the, the illogical argument is that your desires are going to shift. As a youth pastor, um, back when I used to be a youth pastor, I would counsel with young people. And sometimes the young people would just say, oh, but pastor, this is just who I am. And I'm like, what do you mean this is who you are? Because over the last four years, I've seen you change depending on who you were dating. It's like when you dated like, uh, when you dated someone that was really on fire for Jesus in the church, you were sitting up front with the Bible. And then when you started dating someone that was kind of lukewarm, you were sitting in the back like, which one is you? And the truth is that our desires shift. We change. And, and so I, I would see them say, well, this is who I am. And I'd have to tell them and let them know, you know, things, things shift. Desires change. What we believe about ourselves oftentimes is actually the result of our environment. And our environment will shape our desires more than you really care to admit. We, we don't like to admit it because we think, no, 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 this is inside out. But truly, it's the nature versus nurture. And we oftentimes are nurtured into desires. And we, we say, this is, this is how I was born. Or, or we're nurtured into desires. And we say, this is who I am. And it's more nurture than it is nature. And here's something, let me, let me just explain it to you this way. In Gen Z, in Gen Z, there are skyrocketed levels of people that in Gen Z that identify and belong to and, and, and say they are part of the LGBTQIA. And yet, the measure of people that actually have same-sex attraction is flat. 
So the amount of people that actually have same-sex attraction is actually a flat number. It has not increased over time. But the amount of people that say that I'm part of that movement, that lets you know that as uh, that lets you know that they are being nurtured into a movement and it's more nurtured than it is nature. You guys tracking with me so far? And so we have people that are being nurtured into a movement and and, and then they then they're convincing themselves that this is now their nature. Like, oh, this is this is the reason I am that I am. I was born this way. But this is this is how you know if it was born out of a movement, and we know that this movement, the LGBTQIA movement, does have its origins in the sexual revolution. That's why I'm talking about that. If you're like, it's the 60s, that's the 1900s, Pastor Just Why are we talking about that? Because I want to talk about where this stuff came from. And, and, and his grandfather, so many movements that have come out of that, and here's what's happening. It's nurturing identity and causing people to believe that it's nature. And I want to add to the conversation, it's, it's having a conversation about gender identity, which I think we ought to be getting out of the word and not out of the world. That we got to turn to the word for gender identity and not the world. And so we're having to deal with gender identity, um, which is what a person believes about themselves to be male or female, which I believe is heavily influenced by gender stereotypes. So gender stereotypes are heavily, in, are heavily impacting gender identity. Let me walk that out for you if you're wondering, well, what's a gender stereotype? Well, if a girl likes football, or maybe she's on the wrestling team, and she likes to watch action movies, then naturally she should have same-sex attraction. That's what's called gender stereotype. Well, naturally, that's what she should do. Let me say it differently. If a boy likes to dance, or if he wants to be in color guard or cheerleading, well, then naturally, they should have a same-sex attraction. That's what's called a gender stereotype. And when a young boy or girl is fed those stereotypes, and when social media begins to feed into them that sort of information, well, then you must be this, and then you must be that, they start to believe that something is wrong with them. When nothing is wrong with them. The stereotypes cause people to feel like, oh, maybe I'm broken or maybe I've got it wrong. Let me give you an example. My wife's a counselor. She works at an elementary school in Carlsbad. And she, and, and, uh, she, she, so she's been counseling for years. She told me a story about an 8-year-old girl who came into her office. And she said, Mrs. Hurray, I want to have a conversation with you. You're my counselor. So she sits with her. She's got an 8-year-old girl. She goes, Mrs. Hurray, I think I'm gay. And my wife said, okay, well, let's talk about that. Why do you believe you're gay? She goes, well, I don't like boys. So if I don't like boys, therefore, I should be gay. And my wife had to say, baby, you're 8 years old. It's, it's, I think your dad would be really happy to find out that you don't like boys at eight years old. And, and so what's happening is we're asking people to make decisions about identity. Come on. When I was eight years old, I was still eating dirt. You know what I'm saying? Like I, didn't, I wasn't ready to have a conversation about these sort of things. But there's an environment that is nurturing behavior. This it, it, is nurturing that sort of behavior. Can you, so do you understand how... Gender stereotypes can get people confused. So let me just say it this way. I think that the solution is that we as a culture and we as a church should broaden gender stereotypes. And so I said this in the first service and I liked it, so I'll say it once again. So if you're a girl who likes to watch football, eat a lot of steak, and watch action movies, that doesn't make you weird. That makes you awesome. I think that's so cool. Like, I love to watch the game with you. You won't be talking. You'll be tuned in. I love it. Like, that would be great. That would be great. Okay, now let me anchor this in truth now. Our identity is not in our desires, but our identity needs to be rooted in Christ. Okay? We who profess to follow Jesus root our identity in Christ. Culture wants you to root your identity in your 
desires. Let me slowly walk us through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And it says, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters nor um, um, idolaters nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that's quite the list, right? And some of y'all are like, look at that list, Pastor Josh. I'm doing good. I don't check any of those boxes. I know you flew in here on your wings and you had communion for breakfast, but can I just explain and define what sexual immorality is? Because it's much broader than many of us think. Sexual immorality comes from the Greek word porneia, which we get the word pornography from. And, and, and when the writer, the Apostle Paul says sexual immorality, it's like a catch-all phrase for all kinds of behavior that is outside the sexual expression of a man and a woman. So let me, let me walk that out for you. Sexual immorality could be looking lustfully at someone other than your spouse, having sex before marriage, watching pornography, sexual cohabitation before marriage, masturbation, and sexualizing yourself for the purpose of attracting others. Hello, inappropriate selfies. Paul says all of that is sexually immoral. So let, let me just ask this question of the room right now. Now that I've defined what sexual immorality is and you've got all the other stuff up there, come on, I want you to raise your hand if you have fallen short and you've made that list. Listen, the pastor is raising his hand. So why don't you raise your hand with that definition if you've fallen short. Look around the room, everybody. Everyone with their hands up is saying, look, I've fallen short. And everyone with their hands down, they're a liar. Okay, moving on. Some of you are like, well, pastor, why do you have to say all of that? Because... Many of us are great judges of other people's sins and great defense attorneys of our own. We, we judge everyone else's sins, but we defend our own. I mean, we, we're like the Johnny Cochran when it comes to ourselves. Sorry, you got to be like older than 40 to get the joke. But uh, we're, great to, we're great defense attorneys of our own sin. But can I just tell you that all of us have fallen short. Every single one of us has missed the mark. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's glorious standards. But you need to know that when you root your identity in Christ, let me read to you the best verse right here. It says, and that's what you used to be. And that's what some of you were, past tense. But come on, here we go. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Come on, that's our new nature. That's our new identity. And I love that. The good news is that we were all that before. Every single one of us in this room. So don't, don't start looking around like Pastor Josh talking about he's talking to my neighbor. Oh, I'm glad my cousin came today because they need this word. No, we've all fallen short. We've all missed the mark when we did not root our identity in Christ. But what this verse is telling us is, is we are not who we used to be. That's why the, the beauty about the gospel is we began as sinners saved by grace. But at some point you realize that a sinner saved by grace is not who I am anymore. It's who I used to be. But now I'm a son of God. Now I'm a daughter of God. My identity is in what he has done for me. And so I am no longer what I used to be. You ever talk to someone who like 20 years later still wants to talk about their old addiction? 
Let me tell you about who I used to be. You know what? You're a son of God now. You're a daughter of God now. You're no longer just a sinner saved by grace, but now you are a saint. That's what the Bible calls you. The Bible says you are now seated with the saints, we who have received Christ. You tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? So here's, here's what I want you to get. We anchor our identity in Christ. And when you anchor your identity in Christ, then only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. When you anchor your identity in Christ, only Jesus gets to tell you who you are. The world doesn't get to label you. Your family doesn't get to label you. No one else gets to tell you who you are. You're anchored in Christ. Only Jesus has the power to tell you who you are. So we don't define ourselves by what we've done. We define ourselves by what Jesus did for us. Come on, somebody. Some of you are like looking at yourself. This is who I am. Stop talking about who you are and stop talking. start talking about who he is. Start talking about how he loved you enough to die for you. You need to talk about how he loved you enough to save you. He loved you enough to give you his grace. He loved you enough to give you his mercy. He loved you enough to give you a new name. A new nature and a new identity. So hear me when I say this. Your deepest identity is that you are a child of God. Your deepest identity is that you are a child of God. Okay, that's the first one. Let me talk about the second one. I'll move through this one quickly. So the first tenet of, of the sexual revolution is that your desire forms your identity. The second one is that fulfillment is found in, in the expression of in, in sexual expression. And again, I've talked about this, but let me show you what God's word says about this. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, flee from sexual immorality. And you know what that means. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The key takeaway there is that your body belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. And whenever you fulfill sexual expression outside of God's plan, which is man, woman within a marriage, you are deforming the body that does not even belong to you. That's why we're always saying you're either being formed by the word of God or you're being deformed by the culture. You're either being formed by God's word or you're being deformed by the world. And when you, false, when you start to express yourself as the world tells you to express yourself, as the world encourages you to express yourself, it's your life. You do it. It's your body. You do it your way. No, no, no. My body belongs to him. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. My body does not belong to me. It's, it's kind of a funny story, but my, my youngest son, Jackson, I don't know what it is about the, the youngest kids in the family, but like they're the most strong-willed kids. Come on, are there any babies in the room that know what I'm talking about? You're the family baby. You're like the most strong-willed. That was my son, Jackson. He was like three, four years old, and he wouldn't want us to comb his hair. Come on, how many know raising a boy can be hard work? It'll try your page. He's like, don't comb my hair. Don't comb my hair. And he told my, he told my wife one day, he goes, my body, my rules. Little three-year-old kids on my body, my rules. So we're like, what in this world? It was so funny. Anyway, just moving on. Um, but here's the deal. When we know that your bodies belong to him, I love this. We didn't create our bodies. We didn't redeem our bodies. And we can't resurrect our bodies. 
That's why our bodies belong to him. Because when you have made a decision to follow Jesus, the beauty of this all is that now my body belongs to him. And so I'd say, I'm saying he created my body. He redeemed my body. And, and when he comes back again, he's going to resurrect my body. That's the amazing news of the gospel. That's why my body belongs to him. And for those of you that are like, okay, well, man, Pastor Josh kind of sounds a little oppressive, talking about sexual expression, talking about sexual revolution, and, and all this about within the, within the confines of marriage. Let me, let me just say this. The Bible is not against sex. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches it was created by God to be enjoyed. Can I get a good amen from the men in the room? Thank you. It's God's idea. As a matter of fact, as soon as God created Adam and Eve, he's like, all right. Go make some babies. You know what to do. What's he telling them to do? Okay, sorry. If you didn't check your kids into Elkis today, that's on you, all right? We're talking about it today. You can go have that conversation afterwards. When you read the Song of Solomon, there's an entire chapter devoted to intimacy between a man and a woman. And then, brothers, if, if, if you don't take anything else, write this verse down that I'm about to tell you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. You'll get it later when you read it. But... All that to say is that intimacy, it was created by God and meant to be enjoyed, but the world gives you a counterfeit. And the world's counterfeit says, don't do it God's way, do it your way. And when you do it your way, you're actually doing damage to your soul. You start to do damage to your soul. Now, let me just give you some of the fallout of the sexual revolution before I come to a close because... As I said, this thing started in the 60s, and it has kind of led to other movements that have spun off of that. But this was a movement that they said, this is going to make people feel better about themselves. This is going to make people feel happy. This is a movement that's going to liberate everybody. Well, we got some data because it's 2024. So let me just read to you what the data says. It says, since this movement began, since the sexual revolution, happiness in every single generation has decreased since the 60s. And right now... The generation with the lowest amount of happiness is Gen Z. They're the generation. Anybody got kids that are Gen Z? Yeah. They, they, they are the least happy generation. The more that this has played itself out, the more it has damaged who we are. And it is Gen Z that is paying the heaviest price. See, this is why mom and dads, you can't just give your kid a tablet and let that tablet raise your kid. You can't just hand them your phone and let that phone raise your kid. You got to be involved. You have to be intentional because there are things trying to form your children. And it's coming through that little electric, electronic device that you, you make your quasi-babysitter when you don't want to deal with them. But mom and dad, you got to be intentional. You got to step in the ring. Get in the fight because this world is trying to take your son or daughter. But come on. Do we got any parents that are saying, not in my house? I'm going to be the one to disciple my son or daughter. I'm going to set what's normal. I'm going to tell my kids what's right. Beyond that, since the sexual revolution began, we have seen the divorce rate climb higher and higher and higher and higher. I thought this was supposed to make it better. Why, does divo why, why is divorce more prevalent? I was just talking about the, I was just talking to our Lighthouse College earlier this week. I didn't even know what a gray divorce was. I was reading the news and they started talking about the increase in gray divorce. You guys know what gray divorce is? That means people in like in their 50s and 60s are getting divorced. I thought, like, people, when you got into your, like, 50s and 60s, like, you were in the clear. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, we made it 30 years. Ain't no way. But they're like, yeah, I'm out. It's like, what? That's called a great divorce, and that's actually the highest level of divorce right now. 
It's like, come on, Grandma, Grandpa. Y'all supposed to, like, this ain't cool. You know what I mean? Like, figure it out. Anyway. But here's, and here's the fallout of that. Because of the rise of divorce, it's led to the increase in fatherless homes, which is probably the greatest epidemic in our country. Because homes without fathers mean children are more likely to be incarcerated. Children are more likely to um, be addicted to alcohol. Children are more likely, listen, just said differently, they're just more likely to get jacked up. And all the science is there. I'll never forget one time a young man was cutting my hair. And um, he was dealing with fatherlessness. And he's telling me, you know, he knew he was talking to a pastor, so he's just kind of like burying his soul. Um, <laughs> well, he's cutting my hair, but he, he started telling me about how, you know, one day his windshield wipers were bad and, you know, he's driving and it got so, he got so frustrated that it was raining heavily. His windshield wipers were, were bad and he pulled over to the side of the road and just like broke down. And he was just saying, my dad never taught me how to change a windshield. I don't know how to change a windshield wiper. Where was my dad when I needed him? Over a wiper. That's the symptom. But do you want to know what the issue is? This guy wants a father and he's hurting. And he's broken. And, and, and just a busted windshield wiper was, was able to send him into a depression. And we got a generation that's dealing with that because of divorce and fatherless home. Let me, let me go on. Porn has become a multi-billion dollar industry that has so negatively impacted marriages. I've said this before. Let me say this again. Men in the room, if you are suffering with this, you need to fix this because it doesn't get better when you get married. The big lie is that, oh, this will all stop when I get married. No, it won't. All it's going to do is destroy your marriage. And this is true of women, but, again, we know the problem's greater with men. You have to figure this out. And, and there is help, and we would love to help you with it. But actually what porn will do will destroy your marriage because now you want your spouse to do things that you watched on television, which isn't real. And so you're lacking fulfillment, and you think it's your spouse, but it's you because you've so damaged your soul by watching something that you never should have watched to begin with. And then, as if that wasn't enough, that has then been the gateway to child pornography and now human trafficking. And that's a big problem. All of this has its roots in the sexual revolution of the 1960s where your identity is your greatest desire. Do you see the problem here? Do you see what happens when we remove our anchor from Christ? And here's the last thing. When you cohabitate before marriage, you are 50% more likely to get a divorce. So for the people in the room, they're like, Pastor, I'm practicing. Pastor, like, this, this is the way we're going to know. No, 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 no. For anyone that's saying like, well, I'm practicing for marriage, you're actually practicing for divorce. You're actually practicing before divorce. And the more sexual partners that you have before marriage is actually going to decrease the happiness within your marriage. And I say all of that because when we look at these numbers, the only result, that, the, the only conclusion that I can come to is the Bible has it right this entire time. And the world tried to tell you that this was going to be better, and all we are seeing is that it is eating our culture alive. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are we going to anchor our identity? Because your identity is not in anything. Your identity is not in another person. Your identity has to be in Jesus. Are you tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? Let me just say this before I get into the conclusion here. 
Let me just say this. When you don't put your identity in Christ, another thing that I see people do, and this is especially true in the church. I don't know why, but I just see this a lot in the church. But people think that if I just find the right person, they will complete me. That is bad Disney (laughs) expectations of of if I just find the right person. No, they won't. Here's what's going to happen. The only person that can complete you is Jesus. And when you enter into a relationship and you think they're going to make me better, they're going to complete me, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start asking them to take the place of Jesus in your life. And they can't because there's only one Jesus. And so when you enter into a relationship thinking, well, this person is going to complete me, all it's going to do is break the relationship. This is why I say two broken people coming together doesn't make a whole marriage. Two broken people does not equal one whole marriage. It takes one whole person coming together with one whole person, and now we have a whole marriage, which is going to produce a whole family. Track with me, Lighthouse Church. I want to help you all out here. This is why we got to get me right before we get we right. We, you got to get yourself right before you get into that relationship. You got to make sure you're doing, you're doing right by you before you get in that relationship. Now, if anyone there feels like, well, Pastor Josh, I mean, this, this feels pretty restrictive. I mean, this feels like prison bars. No, let me give you a better analogy of what God's word is. God's word is railroad tracks, okay? And when you follow the railroad tracks and when you align yourself with God's word, it's going to keep you from making a train wreck of your life. It's going to keep you from making a train wreck of your life. And here's the deal. God doesn't give us commands because he loves rules. God gives us commands because he loves you. He loves you so much. He wants you to have these commands. He loves you so much. He wants you to have this information. He loves you so much that he's trying to save you from that hurt and that pain. He's trying to save you from that broken heart. He's trying to save you from that crushed soul. That's why he says, do it this way. And let me just talk to anyone in the room that is like, Pastor, this is hard. Because I know I know this pastor. And I'm that person that has already had multiple partners. And I've never rooted my identity in Christ. I've rooted my identity in my sexual desires. I've rooted my identity in my sexual expression. What hope is there for me? I was reading John 4 this morning. And it just so happens to be my morning Bible reading. Today is the 4th of February. So today is John 4. And Jesus comes to the town of Samaria, and he encounters a woman at the well. This woman at the well was the most promiscuous woman in her town. She had multiple partners, multiple marriages. As a matter of fact, the reason she encountered Jesus at the well is she went at the hour where no other woman would be there to judge her, to guilt her, or to shame her. She chose the time of day that she would draw out water from the well, and she did it to avoid people. But that day, she met Jesus. And Jesus talked with her, fully knowing her. She tried to play like she didn't have a past. And Jesus said, where's your husband? She goes, I ain't got a man. He goes, that's right, you don't have a man. You've had lots of mans. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but what he said is, you've had five marriages, and the man you're sleeping with right now is not your husband. That moment, she was like, oh, you must be a prophet. <laughs> she was like, how did you know? She was having an encounter with Jesus. You know what Jesus was telling her? It's like, you have been drawing water 
from a fountain of broken sexual expression. And I want you to draw your water from me. I want to heal your hurt. I want to heal your broken. I want to heal every part of your body that has been broken. And Jesus, that day, healed her and made her whole. And she went on to go back to her town and to evangelize the whole city. You see, only God can use the most promiscuous person in the room and make them his spokesperson. That's the God we serve. So for anyone that feels like, I don't know if I can do it. Oh, oh, you can do it. We've got scripture that says you might actually be the one Jesus is looking for. You might actually be the person that he wants to use. Why? Because he loves you. He sees you. And you are not too far from God. Let me pray over you right now as you close your eyes and bow your heads. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.